Welcome all you back of the napkin ninjas, you elevator pitch artists, build a jet while you fly at school of hard knocks heroes, dreamers, doers, join us in the foxhole, in the arena of life. This is the Grand Plaster Podcast, a show about innovators, entrepreneurs, and leaders, and the origin stories that made them who they are today. Hey, everybody. Graham Plaster here with Adam Rentschler. Hey, how's it going, Adam? It's going great. Thank you so much for having me, Graham. Yeah. And you're out in Denver right now, right? Correct. Awesome. And uh, did you grow up around there? What's your backstory? I, d- I did not. Uh, I'm the son of two New Yorkers who grew up on a Southern Indiana hog farm. So I've got kind of a kind of a mixed up background. But uh, yeah, grew, grew up uh, grew up in rural Indiana in a house that was 100% heated with wood. And, uh, you know, it's not as cold as some parts of the country, but uh, there was uh, lots, lots of work involved in keep, keeping us warm and keeping us busy. And, uh, you know, a, a life of uh, meaningful work was was part of my world from the very beginning. So you say, uh, so do you have siblings that were out on the farm? Yeah, uh, I'm the oldest of three, so I have a, a middle brother and a youngest sister um, who are currently um, living in San Antonio and Long Island, respectively. What was your education like out there? So um, education was was really good until until high school, and uh, my little town was was a weird one. Um, so uh, yeah, the education for high school wasn't so great, but then. Um, had an opportunity to go to Northwestern uh, on the outskirts of Chicago for my undergrad, and uh, absolutely loved that. Had uh, had just a fantastic time in in the Chicago land area, and studied material science and engineering, which was right at the intersection of physics and chemistry. And uh, foolishly, at the time, um, I didn't want to have to choose, so I picked kind of that middle path and uh, and studied. Uh, studied atoms and, and how they're arranged in, in modern materials. Um, retrospectively, of course, as software began to eat the world, studying studying bits probably would have been a little bit smarter, but, uh, but material science is what I did. And um, it was a fantastic education. The best part of that experience was the fact that I was part of the cooperative engineering education program there, which meant that uh, my undergrad took five years instead of four, uh, but during the process, I got two years of full-time work experience as an engineer, and which I absolutely loved. Uh, material science and engineering was a, was a lot more science than engineering, so it was, uh, you know, very sort of ethereal. And uh, getting out to work in the field brought me right back down to the problem solving that uh, that I still love to this day. Um, so. That uh, that was an incredible incredible opportunity for me, and uh, really gave me a bit of a leg up when I graduated because you know I was one of the few that actually had practical engineering experience um, to my name, and allowed me to to land a really cool gig in the mechanical engineering space of all things uh, out in the Bay Area for a motion and machine control company called Berkeley Process Control. Hmm. So uh, that's that's where my career started after a brief stint of being a bike messenger in San Francisco uh, while I found that job, uh, which was uh, which was itself uh, a fun adventure. So, I mean, there's some pretty steep hills out in San Francisco. So being a bike messenger, you probably get some 
adventures getting up and down those uh, things. Yeah, I was I was very fit. Um I, I wish I wish I could recapture that fitness in my uh in my advancing middle age. Um but uh, but no it was a fantastic play, uh, fantastic way to get to learn um get to learn my way around my adopted city and um you know fantastic way to to be outside and, and to be fit get to get to know the town and uh go conquer conquer the occasional hill delivering heavy things. Was there anything in your kind of rural hog farming upbringing that got you into the material sciences space, or is that just kind of by personality? Well, um, it, it was it was really by the the stuff that I was attracted to in high school, right? Uh, the the chemi- chemistry meets physics is kind mm-hmm. of the intersection that material science lives in, and uh, had had I been a little more forward thinking, I think I would have chosen chosen differently. Uh, probably mechanical engineering at the time would have, would have been uh, you know a, a little more relevant. The the thing about material science, Graham, which which is kind of a wild one, is that it's not a very practical degree as an undergrad. Um, you there aren't really many cool opportunities with an undergrad material science degree to go do stuff. You typically need a PhD to go you know invent invent new materials, uh, whether they be mm. electronic or ceramics or metals or what whatever it is. Uh, and by the time I got through with my undergrad engineering education, I, I had had my fill at that point. So uh, I, I wanted to go to work and uh, mechanical engineering stuff is where I landed. So, OK, so you're out in Silicon Valley, you're riding a bicycle, you're interested in mechanical engineering at this point, and And what how do you kind of like find your footing? Well, I, it, it's it's interesting, Graham, because I found my footing was not in engineering uh, at all, uh, which was kind of a wild thing. Uh, I had a boss at the time that said, well, what is it you want to do? And at the time, I was an applications engineer. So I was at the interface of, of customers and, and our products at the time. And he basically disabused me of the notion that I was actually an engineer. Um, he said, look, dude, you're you're a sales guy. You just don't know it yet. And I had this really wild, like ick factor uh, reaction to that, Graham, because it, my exposure to salespeople were the were the smarmy, creepy dudes that tried to sell my mom a refrigerator that was five hundred dollars more than she than than the one she actually needed, right? So I had this like, oh God, no, not sales. Yeah. Uh, what I quickly realized though was that a technical sales position, a sales engineering position like that was really an opportunity to bridge the gap between really difficult and interesting problems that the customer had and applying the technology that uh, that, that my team could bring to bear on that and, and solve a really important and valuable uh, business problem as a result. And that really began to catalyze my thinking about business strategy and mm-hmm. how one could play at the space between technical innovation and business needs and 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 I've I've never never lost uh, never lost the love of solving problems in that light, and uh, to 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 this day that's uh, that's that's a part of my job every day, and it's it's delightful. Like solutioneering. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's interesting because in Peter Thiel's book Zero to One, he talks about kind of the need for a balance between the engineer, the technical yeah. expertise, and the sales team that can communicate to the end users and the people of the world, hey, you, why would you need this thing, right? Yep. And, and Peter Thiel is in, in really good company there. There's a, a lot of ink has been spilled in the developmental uh, psychology world about this as well. 
Uh, so there are a lot of psychologists that write about, about this nexus and this need as the world becomes more and more and more hyper-specialized to have people that translate, that are fluent mm. in multiple mm -hmm. domains and that can ride across the, the top without being particularly narrow and deep in, in any one of those particular disciplines. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that my my depth is 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 uh, lateral, and mm, so yeah. you know, yeah. Here in Colorado, we we might call you a plat river man. You're a mile wide and an inch deep. <laughs> no, that's right. And, Hopefully, and I can go more than an inch deep in a couple of things. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah I'll uh, take it. I'll take it. Um, okay, so from our Silicon Valley, uh, you went where? How'd you? What was your pass between there and, and Denver? Um, so a couple, couple interesting things uh, happened after that job. Uh, I got a call in 1999 from my younger brother who was living in Cincinnati at the time. And he had a great idea for what was then lovingly called the dot com. And uh, after, after a bunch of discussions, I, it was very clear that he needed to move uh, to my couch in San Francisco from Cincinnati. <laughs> and uh, we started a company that would, that would eventually be called bettervote.com. And it was it was uh, appropriately ambitious for the day. We were going to fix campaign finance reform, better educate wow. the American electorate, uh, and make a pile of money all at the same time. So, wow. uh, in 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 those days, that was uh, that that was kind of what uh, what the vibe was. And uh, yeah. we had a lot of success with that. Um, uh, briefly, we were paper millionaires for a few weeks, uh, only to have our buyout deal collapse on us. Uh, as the dot-com bubble burst. And so we were back to back to square square zero uh, with that adventure, but learned a ton in the process. And uh, really that, that was my first opportunity to cut my teeth as an entrepreneur. And um, you know the, the, the lessons from that were amazingly valuable, um, although the outcome certainly wasn't what we wanted. Yeah, okay, interesting. So uh, dot-com bubble wrote, wrote it up and then wrote it back down again. And then where'd, yes. you, where'd you pivot to? Uh, a bunch of not very interesting work and uh, eventually was able to claw my way into one of the top 30 MBA programs. Tell me about MBA the e emotional turmoil following that ride of being a paper millionaire and trying to figure out what was next. Oh, man, you know, I fell into the trap that a lot of entrepreneurs do, right, which is when you're so enamored with your idea that you're mentally buying all of your friends and relations BMWs. <laughs> Cars for everybody, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's really difficult to go from that level of elation and frankly, the naivete of being in my late 20s and not, you know, there was a there was a ton I couldn't know uh, at that stage in my career. Uh and so it was absolutely gutting and and so crushing. I particularly uh, to particularly to have failed at the hands of uh, a company that was duplicitous with us, and uh, the, with with whom we had a contract and they backed out of it. Um, my first experience in the courts, um, you know, after that, and uh, you know the the big the big takeaway there, Graham, is what a soul crushing thing it is to be involved in litigation. Uh, even if you're quote unquote right, um, it's just it's absolutely awful. And uh, the I guess the psychic damage to me was such that um, I, I knew that I had to kind of hit the eject button and get the heck out of Dodge. Um, didn't have any folding money, but had some credit card headroom. And uh, 
took off and 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 left the country for two months. Went to uh, went rock climbing in Thailand for a month and uh, mountaineering and hiking in New Zealand for a month, and came back with a with a clear head and lots of credit card debt, but renewed purpose. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, so then you from there you write this uh, bang up essay about coming into one of the top tier MBA programs. You're like, I've been hiking in Thailand. I'm ready to do this thing. And they're like, yes, yeah, so you're the type of person we want. So something like that. You know, I don't know. I, I don't know uh, how I got, how I was lucky enough to get into UT Austin, but, uh, but it was a great experience. Austin's a fantastic town. And, um, you know, it's, uh, I was there 2003 to 2005 and boy, that, that city doesn't look anything like it did uh, 15 years ago. Uh, that's right. for sure these days yep. it's uh the, the growth there is just absolutely bananas but uh but yeah i was i was very i was very lucky and very pleased to uh to have the opportunity to go study at at, at ut austin and uh, one of the things that was really uh, especially notable about my time there graham is that i got got into a program called the venture fellows which uh, was this tiny little operation where folks got to go be a vc uh full time uh in my case uh over over the summer between years of grad school and uh, that was really finishing school for me as an entrepreneur, um, because now I was the critic, not the artist. Now I got to pass judgment on everybody and throw hundreds and hundreds of business points in the trash. And, you know, as the lowest person on the totem pole, as a, like a super junior VC, you are empowered to do one thing. And that is to say, no, um, yeah. but that said, there were, there was one really cool deck that that came across my radar screen early on. I raised my hand and said, hey, boss, I think we should take a look at this one. Um, short of the long is that was a successful investment with a with a successful exit in a medical device technology company uh, based out of San Antonio. Wow. Okay. So you were a part of the early migration. You were like, you were like in the covered wagons moving from San Francisco to Texas at the time before the big, you know, California to Texas migration happened. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and, and uh, even, you know, covered wagons, like not even having canvas on the wagon, uh, <laughs> fleeing San Francisco to Denver, uh, which right. is where I landed first, because De okay. because Colorado was was nothing more than a cheaper place to be unemployed as with with skiing. Right. Yeah. That that's where that's how I viewed Colorado when uh, when the dot com bust happened. And uh, I quickly fell in love with the state and the entrepreneurship community out here. Mm. And six months after having uh, hit the ground here, uh, it was clear that Colorado was home. And uh, you, you can't get me out of here with dynamite now. And there's been a lot of transformation there too, right? Since yeah, not 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 quite as transformational as Austin, but but uh, the 20 years uh, at minus the two years I was in Austin, um, the transformation here in Denver is is absolutely remarkable. Yeah. Okay, so you uh, so you went through uh, University of Texas, and then you moved to Denver to do what? I moved to Denver to um, to take what I thought was the coolest business development job in the country at the time. Um, I was working for uh, again, you know. So I here I am, the business guy that 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 had to learn in this case uh, quantum electronics. We had a metal insulator diode. Uh, which was a square law detector diode that could that could operate at radio frequencies up to 26 terahertz, which you know your audience might appreciate uh, had some really interesting properties that the intelligence sure. community thought was cool. Yeah. Um, so 
my, my job was to find the, the business problem that mapped to this really interesting technology. And the, the intelligence community was very interested in that and did some investing in it. And I'll, I'll, leave, I'll leave that there. Uh, but, uh, but that was super interesting on, on the private sector side. Um, I did some, had the opportunity to do deals with Motorola, uh, with Honda, uh, with Philips. It uh, turned out we were working on the, the, the thing that became the Google Chromecast uh, before that was a thing. Um, so yeah, ton, tons of interesting projects. It turned out that, uh, that that particular company was going to be either the next Intel corporation or smoking crater in the ground. Uh, it turned into the latter, unfortunately. Uh, we, we destroyed 13 million in capital when it was all said and done. Wow. Uh, but it was, it was my opportunity, Graham, to, to go to work for a, um, a Blue Ribbon VC-backed company, um, wow. of which there weren't many in Colorado at the time. It, it, it was really one of the few that had Sand Hill Road money behind it. And uh, that was quite a ride. And again, um, you know, quite a learning experience for me as, you know, one of, one of only two business people on a team of about 19, uh, mostly PhD scientists. So at this time, I mean, obviously you sound very optimistic at this point because you have the value of retrospect, but you've been part of the dot-com bubble. You went climbing, kind of recovered yourself. You went out and got another degree. You jump on board with this rocket ship and this goes down. So what are some of the emotions that came out of, you know, this experience? Oh, crushing. Uh, absolutely crushing again, because, you know, my, my view, again, wrongheaded at the time, Graham, but I, I didn't feel like I could put another loss on my scoreboard for my career. Um, I really, I, it, it felt so important to put a W up um, and to have that uh, slip away, to be taken away from me, you know, however, you, you have all these crazy emotions that aren't really rooted in, in, in rational fact at the, at the, at, you know, in, in times like that for one's career. Um, so yeah, it was super, super hard. Um, and uh, that company collapsed right as Lehman Brothers collapsed. So again, my timing was absolutely awful. With, with both of these colossal failures, there was also systemic failures in the, in the economy. Right. And uh, in in the first case, you know, I felt like I was the kid that was running around with a with a scarlet E on his chest because I had been an entrepreneur. And none of the big companies, which is the only place there were any jobs in 2001, 2002, none of them would touch me with a 10 foot pole yeah. because all of them assume that, oh, you're just going to go found another company. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, right. But still, I, at the time, I really didn't appreciate it. Grandma's like, no, right. I'm good, good soldier. I'm going to be here. I uh, want to be part of your big organization with an employee right. handbook. Stick. That sounds right. great. Now, um, what, what was your family situation during funerals? I didn't ask you, but are, were you, uh, do you have any dependents? Not, not at those times. I'm, I'm, I'm late. To, I'm late to the marriage and kid party. Very happy to be here. Uh, but uh, but I'll, I turned fifty this year, and uh, my kids are four and six. So uh, you didn't kids, have to drag them through a lot of that turbulence. So they yeah, and and thank God, right? Because my yeah. my personal burn rate was very low. Um, uh -huh. So I was in a mode where um, you know taking care of myself was was pretty easy, right? I mean, keeping a roof over my head in Denver. Um, as a single, as a single guy was not that tough. Um, you know, I could, I could ham and egg through some consulting and this and that to, you know, keep, keep, keep from, uh, keep from losing shelter and uh, keep myself fed. Yeah. Maslow's hierarchy. You gotta <laughs> work it upside matter, down, right? doing, doing the self-actualization early on. It, um, something like that. 
So, okay. So basically you rode this, uh, this blue ribbon company up and then down. And then what happened after that? Uh, so I've, I found myself doing a lot of volunteering in the community. This was um, there, there. Oh man, I'm forgetting the guy's name now, but he wrote a seminal paper about, um, about energy. And uh, again, wanting to draw upon material science type background and, and use that as a bit of a differentiator. I was very enamored with uh, photovoltaic solar energy. And at the time, this was before uh, Chinese manufacturers had came in and completely dominated the, the crystal and silicon market. And the world still thought companies like Solyndra and others uh, oh, yeah. really had a had a good shot at it. So right. um, I busied myself uh, volunteering for, for uh, grassroots community stuff uh, to help support the clean tech industry in general. I had a brief stint as a as the CEO of a solar thermal company, uh, but I used that background um, and my my VC Rolodex because I I, I had been very keen uh, to kick the door in kick the doors in and and become a venture capitalist full time because I'd love that work so much. Uh, but uh, my degree, not being from Stanford or Harvard, was was a pretty big hand. My grad degree uh, it was a pretty big handicap there. So. Um, through all that volunteering, though, Graham, one of the things that I realized was it was my Rolodex that was often used to impanel the fancy VC judges who would come in and pass judgment on these on, on folks. And uh, so I became the, the national judging chair for an organization called the Clean Tech Open, which is the world's largest accelerator for, for clean tech. Um, and I was crying in my beer one night to a, to a friend of mine because I had 12 person days of investment here with this panel and the cute helpless entrepreneurs would come in one at a time and pitch their guts out and they'd get fire hosed down with all this oral feedback and no one was learning an effing thing. Yeah. It was 12 person days wasted investment and it really pissed me off because it seemed like a stupid way to allocate the community's resources. Sure. So the buddy with whom I was sharing that beer uh, his PhD was in the in a field called the learning sciences, and it turns out that there's a that there has been a best practice to assess complex performances for decades in his field, and that was the kernel for what I'm doing right now. Um, okay. So we founded Valid Evaluation um, with uh, with with co-founder Todd, who has who's the learning scientist, and another co-founder Kent, who is a user experience like savant. He's really, really good at that. Uh, so I was the business guy, had those two gentlemen uh, by my side, and we launched a company that brings best practices and assessment to the field of innovation. Um, and we're, uh, our, our, our seminal breakthrough is simply that. That's, it's very easily described. Uh, a lot of hard work to get to where we've gotten, um, but that's it. It's like, hey, let's take the best practices and assessment and apply it to this squishy thing that everyone says, oh, can't be measured. Uh, turns out it can be, and it should be. So what's the business model for that? We sell our, it's a software as a service model with some services attached to it, uh, principally uh, developing these things called rubrics, which are evidence-based matrices that capture commander's intent, uh, typically from federal government agencies. And uh, with, that, uh, with that rubric codified, what can happen then is we can recruit expert evaluators from across, uh, across the federal government and pull all those experts in, aggregate their opinions, and in real time drive human consensus 
around uh, this evidentiary basis for making downselect decisions. So just to give you a practical example, we're right now managing uh, the uh, applied SBIR program for the, for the US Army. Uh, that's about 80% of the Army's entire cyber budget. Uh, we manage the SBIR program for the U.S. Department of Transportation, three major programs for the Air Force, uh, all of the Air Force's accelerators and some ancillary business there, uh, and all of the Army's uh, prize competitions. So all of these are instances where there are multiple human judges that are coming together to evaluate uh, what's next for innovation for the DOD. Interesting. And, and I guess civilian agencies as well. So. And there's got to be probably a lot of complex dynamics when you have a group of people evaluating something simultaneously. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and this, this is really key. Uh, I have uh, been party to the alternative, right, which is lock everybody in a room. You have some loud extrovert at the head of the room who is, you know, facilitating a discussion and they, they don't unlock the doors until you've come out with a decision. The trouble with that is what happens when someone protests? How do you how do you uh, how do you backfill the justification for that? There's no feedback that flows out of that thing, and the 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 quiet introverts who are often much smarter than the loud guys like me in rooms like that totally get marginalized. And so our platform solves for all of that, and it makes that consensus meeting process much more efficient because everybody's voices are heard. We now have an evidentiary basis with which we can debate. And very importantly, Graham, our data are not the decision. The humans still make the decision, but we greatly uh, enhance the, uh, the, the trustworthiness, the performance, and the scalability of the process uh, by, by using our approach. Interesting. Uh, I could ask a lot more deep, you know, deep questions about kind of the process with that. I'll save it for another. Yeah. Uh, we can cry over some beer or maybe laugh into some beer together there you go. and talk about that. Um, but and you've already kind of segued a little bit, but tell me about what you're passionate about right now. So there's there's a term that recently got coined on, on LinkedIn. Um, you, uh, many, many in your audience are probably familiar with DevSecOps. Uh, there's, there's a new term, ACOPS, right, which is acquisition operations. Yeah. So I'm very passionate about helping our country to, uh, to reform acquisition operations, to be better, stronger, faster. Uh, our near peer rivals are moving much faster than we at this point. And that's a big problem. And it scares me for my kids. So uh, we've got to get after this. We don't have any time to screw around. Uh, but the good news, Graham, is that we can get this right one program at a time. We do not have to wait for Lloyd Austin or President Biden or anybody else to give us permission. We can fix this program by program. And um, what is something that you like to share? with your friends, family, colleagues, uh, people that you meet? It could be a book, uh, an event, a recipe, whatever. What's something that you really like to pass on? So the, the, it's, it's a little intangible. I don't want to pass along an idea, okay. which is that when, when, when you're chasing something squishy, like, okay, how do we fix this thing for our country? How do we fix acquisition ops? If the goal is squishy and you can't define what those outcomes are, you're never going to get there. And so the thing that I'd like to pass along is let's be really clear eyed about what our goals mean when you break them down. And if you can't name some metrics that can be applied across all the things that your goal wants to touch, you're in big trouble. 
And, and so this, uh, this isn't what my company does, uh, but it fits into the larger ecosystem, which is to say that if we're going to fix this thing that the DOD calls transition, um, man, we, we need a shared definition. And until we have that, Graham, we can't get out of our own way. And so I, I guess the, the, the big thought is this. When facing a, a really big, complicated goal, like reforming technology acquisition, um, you can't stay in the squishy land, right? You have to do the hard work of defining what these outcomes are and what success looks like. And until you can get all the butts in the seats and really agree on what that thing means, it's pretty hopeless to reform the system that is supposed to feed into those goals. So intractable problems have to be broken down into tractable and measurable outcomes. And once we can do that, these big, squishy, hard problems uh, become things that we can eat one bite at a time. It's really funny that you're recommending that coming from your origins as a material science person, right? You would say, if we have squishy stuff, we got to make it more material, right? To do <laughs> Yeah. Well played, yeah. sir. Um, okay, so if people want to participate in your current um, endeavors or reach out to you or follow you, what's a good way to do that? Uh, ValidEval.com is the best way to find me and, uh, and our company, what we're up to. So Valid is in right and good, and Eval is in short for evaluation. ValidEval.com. Awesome. All right. Thanks so much for your time today, Adam. Really honored to have you on. Really excited by your story and, and I'm learning a lot from you. Thank you. Graham, thank you. This has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the show today. I'm Graham Plaster and you've been listening to the Graham Plaster podcast. Get show notes and more at grahamplaster.com.